This episode is brought to you by Red Range Stock Supplements. Red Range is a locally owned, family-run business based in Kununurra, Western Australia and servicing the whole North West. They offer a range of custom blended supplements for cattle and horses tailored specifically to your individual requirements. For more information or to discuss your supplement needs, please visit redrangestocksupplements.com.au. Listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. This podcast is brought to you by Ariat Australia, the perfect choice for the tough jobs. Ariat boots and clothing work hard, look good, and are so comfortable there's never a need to slow down. Visit ariat.com.au today. When Frances travelled out to a cattle station for work experience, she didn't think she'd still be there 15 years later. This isn't your typical city girl goes country story, though. Frances didn't travel to Aline Station because she wanted experience in the stock camp. She wanted to see their tourism operation. However, Aline was so much more than she expected, and she began to bond with the station manager over his focus on environmental conservation. You may have seen Frances on the TV show Australian Story, which has aired two episodes on Willene. But in this episode, I wanted to go beyond the usual Willene story and learn more about Frances and her experiences. To start our episode, I asked Frances to tell me about life before Willene. I grew up in Victoria um, in a spot called Mount Macedon, so that's for most people who won't know where it is, sort of halfway between Melbourne and Bendigo, so north, slightly northwest of Melbourne. Um, semi-rural, I'm going to try and claim that. <laughs> Not rural, didn't come from ag at all. Um, Mum and Dad have got four and a half acres there. They're both horticulturalists. So we spent loads of time outside as kids, like gardening, and we were always, yeah, in nature. But we weren't, um, yeah, nothing, no no. Part of my family's got anything to do with ag. Well, horticulture is a part of ag. Well, I guess they're in horticulture, but um, are they like horticultural scientists rather than growers? No, like they've got a um, a retail plant nursery. Oh, cool. Yeah, so you know, if you want advice on your garden or why your tomatoes aren't growing, or but you know, like home gardens, not they don't do horticulture in terms of like growing food for people. Yeah, but you still have to yeah. understand the basic, well, the same foundations yeah. and principles of. Soil what makes and a plant grow and nutrient mm. cycling and how a plant works. And yeah, that's it. So I guess I was pretty fortunate that even though I like didn't understand the um, agricultural industry at all, 
it, you're right. It does sort of come with a little bit of a background, like what it takes to make a plant grow and be healthy and to thrive. Yeah. And what did you think you wanted to do or who you wanted to be when you, when I wanted you grew to be, up? I wanted to be Kathy Freeman. Oh, really? <laughs> That's all I wanted. Can you run? You've kind of got the legs. Um, can I run? Well, I think when I was a kid, I could. Like, you know, it was always in like, um, what's it called? Cross country, all those sorts of things, little athletics. I mean, I try to run now as an adult, but I just find time-wise it's hard. And then weather-wise, you know, now because of the tourism business, it's off-season for us and it's nice and quiet. So we've got time to go running, but oh, now it's like 40 degrees outside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't make it past like the front gate without yeah, half perishing. So. Yeah, I know. So, no, I still run a little bit, but no, that was a far-flung dream when I was, I don't know, well, it was year 2000 when she won the Olympics. Hey, yeah. Gold. yeah. Yeah. I always remember sitting down, watching her in a little suit, pull a little hat over her head and zip up her. What was that suit? That she was won? iconic. Yeah, yeah it, was it like was. That iconic moment. Kathy Freeman got a gold medal. Yeah. No, look, that wasn't all I wanted to be when I was a kid. I was going to say, and, and as you <laughs> kind of <laughs> ventured towards the end of high school, what did you? Um, probably midway through, I was quite set on town planning. Um, almost to the point now that as an adult, I think, you know, in a different world, a different space, or for whatever reason, Dave and I decide that this is not what we want to do anymore. I think with the way the world's gone and we look at sustainability and climate change and developing world and how towns and cities are just exploding but not really growing in ways that will better our future, it's still it's probably something I would I'd go back and reconsider again. I'd love to get into that space and look at how how do you design towns or cities in a way that supports communities rather than just like mass housing and housing estates. How do you come across town planning as a, say, 15-year-old? I didn't even know mm-hmm. it was a thing until I was like 24. And actually Annabelle <laughs> uh, McClarty or Annabelle Curtin, mm-hmm. to, uh, Tom Curtin's wife, it wasn't until I think we were in our early 20s and we met and she's a town planner by trade. And I was like, yeah, right. what even is that? What is that? Oh, no, or, or an urban planner. I don't know. Yeah, so one of those. Planner? One of those things. Yeah, look, I, I don't even remember how I came across it, but um, – yeah, I don't know, maybe it was careers counsellors at school, something like that. But I don't know, I went through a lot of stages. Um, and I guess, so mum and dad being, yes, they're in horticulture, but they have a retail nursery. So as young kids, we were, we were always at the nursery helping out, whether we were on the registers or just helping sweep the paths or arrange plants or stuff. So retail's always been a really strong part of our family. Like mum and dad just had us in that retail space from point we could stand. Um, so understanding customer service and what's a good experience, that was always really sort of in ground into us. And like my first job as a kid was working at Baker's Delight, like as a sales assistant. It's all about meeting sales targets. Um, but, you know, at late high school, year 12, I remember watching Al Gore's movie, An Inconvenient Truth. And that just set off like, yeah, in all sorts of directions. I was just like blown away. And was just couldn't couldn't understand why we weren't doing more, and was convinced at that point that once that movie was released, that the whole world was just suddenly going to wake up and change our ways. Like that movie was the answer for us all being better. But uh, look, here we are. How many years later? Fourteen, fifteen years. There is change, but it didn't happen the way I thought it would. <laughs> it's pretty bloody slow. <laughs> yeah, it's really slow. It's like a wet week. Mm, yeah. So, and that movie kind of influenced a lot of the things I wanted to do. Um, but at that point in life, I don't know, I turned 18, I was really split 
between wanting to pursue something in hospitality, tourism or retail, that kind of service-based industry, but also the environment. Um, I didn't understand, hadn't even conceived that I could mix those things together at that point. Thought it was one or the other. I had to make a choice. Mm. What triggered your trip that brought you out to Aline in the first place? Mm, It's like it's a – it's not really a long story, but it's one full of weird twists. My dad came to WA a couple of years before I moved to WA because um, his best friend lives over here and they did a bit of a road trip together um, and he came to Woolene just for a couple of nights um, as a guest and raved about it. Like when he came home to Victoria, he was just like, oh, I've been to this station, <laughs> you know. Um, and look, I mean, it didn't mean much to me. I was like, great dad <laughs> cool glad. story yeah Thanks. cool story what did you buy me did you get me a mug or a t-shirt yeah. from them <laughs> that's it you know glad you had a sweet holiday but I don't know what you're talking about so um yeah so then after school I moved to WA because I got an opportunity to work uh with my father's best mate um in Perth and he's he was very heavily entrenched in the tourism industry here I think at the time he was the chairman of tourism council WA um so I was handed this like mind-blowing opportunity to just like dive straight into the West Australian tourism industry at a fairly, I want to say high level, but not like I didn't have a job at a high level, but I I got the opportunity to mingle and meet people that were working at a high level, um, which was really cool. Like, you know, so it just set me up with a bit more of a passion that, yeah, no, like tourism's cool and it is something. And and also taught me because at that point I actually didn't understand the difference between hospitality and tourism. Um yeah, so I really got to understand the difference between what one and the other does and which one is more attractive for me. Um, yeah, so that's – what am I saying? Oh, yeah, I said it was a long story. So through <laughs> through my job in Perth, um, working with my dad's best mate who had taken my dad to Woolene, who also knew David's parents – because of their visit and had known them for quite some time through the tourism industry because Wolene does tourism. Um, you know, dad had said to me when I moved to WA, look, if you ever get a chance to head out to that station I went to, you should, you know, you should really do it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, but yeah, through my job, I met David's father, um, in tourism. He'd moved to Perth, um, not long after like the succession planning had happened and David taken over running Wolene. And the more I got to know him, he kept referring to like this property up north, this property. Up. Anyway, one day he said, Wolene. And I was like, Oh, I like, I think I know about that place. <laughs> and look, David's dad's just like salt of the earth would help out anyone really offers assistance to anyone. So he was like, Oh, well, you know, kiddo, if you ever want to go up there, just let me know. I go up from time to time to make sure my son's all right. Cause he's just out there by himself at the moment running the property. So I just agreed to, yeah, sure. If you're going up, I'll jump in the car. And that, uh, what what was the plan for the visit? Like just go up for a couple of days and have a poke around yeah. or get a job? Well, it's sort of the plan like evolved with to being really not a plan. Um, we were meant to drive up and then something came up for Brett and he wasn't going anymore. But he sort of said, like, you should still go up anyway. And so if you want to jump on the bus from Perth to Geraldton, Dave goes to Geraldton every fortnight to pick up stores because we didn't have freight service back then. Um, so he can pick you up, but you'd have to commit to going out for two weeks because he won't be going back to town. So I was just like, yeah, sure. Why not? Like never, never seen a station before. Dad said it was great. In fact, I didn't even know what a station was. Um, I'd heard of like petrol stations, radio <laughs> stations, train stations. <laughs> I just thought there was like farming country in the desert. Um, yeah. So 
he, he said like you can hang for two weeks as long as you can help. Like if you can help out, then like, you know, there's plenty of beds up there. Dave will feed you. We hadn't opened, like it was March. So the tourism season hadn't kicked off. Um, tourism was pretty low key at that point. Like David didn't have grand plans for tourism, but he's like, if you can just help him clean up the place a little bit, like the house needs cleaning, like the self-contained guest houses need cleaning and then it'll drop you off again in two weeks time. But I'm still here. <laughs> so, yeah. Tell me about the drive from Geraldton to Walleen and I suppose like the change in country you saw and your first time in this type, type of country and also mm. your first time meeting Dave and it's you can't escape yeah. for a good, what is it, four hours? Yeah, yeah. We, I guess we were in the car for nearly four hours. Um, the Like impressions changed enormously over the first 24 hours from like good to bad to good to bad. <laughs> um, he was late picking me up from the bus stop. Um, when I first got off the bus in Geraldton, and I don't mean to disrespect anyone, but there was an awful lot of fairly overweight blokes with big beards leaning on youths picking up people. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, am I allowed to say that? Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like, I hadn't actually even considered like who David was. Like that hadn't entered my mind. I was a bit young and naive. So when I started seeing all these like blokes, I was like, oh no, have I like, I've committed to go into the middle of nowhere with some know, like rogue farmer. Like, <laughs> I mean, common sense should have told me I knew David's dad and knew how old he was that should have given me an indication of how old his son was. But that, logically, I wasn't thinking that way. I was just kind of freaking out that I just got on a bus for six hours and now I was sitting at a bus stop with no one to pick me up and slowly everyone else disappeared, picked up their passengers, off they went. Anyway, finally Dave turned up. And when he did, I was like, oh, yeah, oh, this is all right. He's okay. (laughs) Now, was that because he looked young and safe or because he looked young and cute? Oh, a bit of both. (laughs) Young, safe, cute. I was like, yep, no, this is fine. This is all right. Um, but then, yeah, so we looked, you know, we picked up last minute things from town. We did, you know, a few bits and bobs before heading out. Um, but by the time we left town, it was already late in the day. So most of the drive was in the dark. So I had like, you are, no if I have to bus. escape, I'm screwed. Oh, I know. I have like, no idea where I am. Just sat six hours on a bus. And now like I'm from Victoria, right? I and mean, we didn't go more than two hours to get anywhere. And that's a long way. We're going to the supermarket. It's 10 minutes. (laughs) Does that get awkward if you're like with someone brand new and you're like, oh, I really want to ask them to pull over so I can go to the bathroom, but I just met you and I don't want to do that. Yeah. It's like, what can I like? Yeah. Especially like, I don't know. I was young. How, I don't know. How do you interact with someone you've never met and you're about to go out and live with them? It's kind of like trying to make a good impression because even though it wasn't a job, I was going out to help, but also. You know, it wasn't like it wasn't employment. So just be yourself too. But yeah, we got in the car and I think, I mean, I just started asking questions like about the station and what happens there. And to be honest, because David had been out here by himself for so long, it was actually, I think for him, like a great opportunity that someone was actually asking him what he was doing. And so we, we kind of just spent four hours in the car talking about his vision for what Wolleen was going to be, but it was pretty much in its infancy at that point. I mean, what he's been managing Woolley now just over 14 years and, like, we met within his first five, six months of running the place. So he had this plan but no idea how he was going to execute it. Probably shouldn't say that. I should give him more credit. He had a bit of a plan. But he just enjoyed sort of, like, explaining his vision for the rangelands and cattle and why he was destocking. And, and I obviously, like, after 
you know, my interest in climate change and the world, what was going on. Like for me, it was like, I was like, whoa, this is really cool stuff. Um, I was really interested straight away. Once we got to Woolene though, it was dark. It was so hot. (laughs) I was just, yeah. When I went to bed that night, I was like, oh man, I've made a really big mistake. Like, I can't stay out here for two weeks. Like, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> I was trying to, like, come up, think of ways that I could ask him to take me back to town the next day. <laughs> Where can I trip and break a leg? Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Where is a snake? I'm going to go shove my hand yeah. in front of it and be like, bite me. Uh, yeah, how Do sick now. can I pretend to be? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, look, the next day I woke up and I was just like, oh, man. It's hot. I'm in the middle of nowhere with some dude I don't know. It's not – maybe this is not so great. But I don't know. Like, as I said, David been out here by himself for a long time and I think he was pretty keen for the company. So rather than just, like, putting me straight to work, we just went for, a, like, beautiful drive around the property and there'd been good rain. There was, like, water in all the semi-permanent pools and we went out to visit some of the granite outcrops and, yeah, it was really beautiful. Super beautiful. And I was just, like – Wow, this is cool. When do you think the because at some so you, like you said you're supposed to be out here for a fortnight and like fourteen mm. years later <laughs> here you are. Yeah. When do you think was that moment that you were like, oh, maybe like I want to hang around a bit longer or? Oh, like it came in it came in stages. I mean, the first fortnight turned into three months. So you you just didn't go back at all to no, Perth? No, I didn't go back. What yeah. about your job? They were pretty flexible. Like at that point I was meant to be moving from Perth to Kalbarri because we were opening a new resort in Kalbarri. Um and so coming via Woolene was kind of a oh that's okay. Like once you finish at the station, just head to Kalbarri and there'll be a position for you there. So when I sort of said, Oh, I'm not coming, like not gonna make it to Kalbarri. They were, I don't know, they were kind of cool. It was very flexible. It was Dad's best mate. Like, he was kind of open to whatever I was doing. And do you, at this stage, so after, when it's when it's drawing close to when you're supposed to go back to town mm. and you guys realise you want to stay longer, are you kind of just playing it fortnight by fortnight or are you like, oh, let's, let's reassess in a month or? Well, a lot of things happened um, early on from memory. So, I think as we were kind of approaching the first fortnight, one of Dave's mates came out to visit um, and Dave's like, oh, sweet. If you could just pick up some tomatoes and lettuce, I don't have to drive 600 k's. Like, you know, so that was the first trip to town. And I can Canceled. trap this girl here forever. <laughs> yeah. And then before we knew it, like it was Easter and same thing, a big heap of Dave's mates were like, we'll come visit you at the station. So he's like, great. Can you bring... So I feel like we definitely missed a few town this trips. This is very Beauty and the Beast, <laughs> like keeping Belle trapped in the castle. <laughs> Did the cutlery start talking to you? Yeah, that's it. everything was dancing it's a, it's a very old homestead mm. and there's a lot of old things here. Did they come to life? Yeah, there's all sorts of things going on. <laughs> Actually, you guys could kind of pull off a Beauty and the Beast fight. I'm not saying that they were the Beast, <laughs> but like you kind of do have that little like Belle look about mm, you. And he cool. could, yeah. This could work for a costume party. But right. anyway, I digress. Back to, back on <laughs> track now. costume parties for evenings in the dining room. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, then it was kind of like I was I was enjoying it here and I like staying. And, and by April, obviously, we'd sort of open for tourism. I mean, as I mentioned before, there wasn't much tourism going on. But for the little bit of tourism that was happening, 
it was cool. Like I, I don't know, I got to be involved in that. And given that was an industry that I had wanted to pursue, I saw it as kind of good experience. And I felt that I was helpful to David because he didn't really want to have to deal with that side of woolene. Um, but yeah, look, after three months, I just had like a lot of family and friends going like, what are you doing? Like, you know, where are you? Yeah. Where are you? And when are you coming back? And, you know, I guess mum and dad were a bit like, it's not that they weren't supportive. Like, I wouldn't say that they weren't supportive, but you could certainly hear this kind of uh, caution in their voices. They're a bit concerned. What are you doing? Um, so, yeah, I guess with so many little ears, uh, voices in my ear about what was I doing, and I had one mate in particular that was like, I just said, well, what does it matter? Like, I'm happy. She's like, yeah, but, like, how long are you going to be happy for? And I was like, oh, Christ, I don't know, like – what does it matter? But, it, you know, it started playing on my mind. Well, like, am I wasting time? Am I – has this just been, like, a really cool part of my life and I need to move on? And, you know, if, like, I'd wanted to, like – I had aspirations of working in Exmouth and Broome and all these other things. So, I was like, okay, maybe I just need to get on the road. I wanted to go and teach English in Vietnam. I, like, I don't know, all this stuff that I was, like, supposed to be doing. So, so I left. Um, and I – even though the idea was to head north, I picked up – my old job back in Perth, but this time was assigned to the resort that was being opened in Cervantes instead. Um, and that was cool. And I probably did that for two months. And um, when I left Woolene, Dave was pretty clear that if I was going, I was going, you know, like, and I know that sounds bad and I'd probably make him sound like, but I understand how hard, like long distance relationships are crap. And I think he tried them before. And it's, you know, if you're out here by yourself and someone else is living the good life in town or the city, I don't know, like we, we just decided that, and there wasn't much of a relationship there, you know, like we'd only known each other for a few months. So he was just like, respect your decision to go. And, you know, you go, you're going because you think like the world's got all these opportunities for you, which like it, it does still does. Um, that was that. Like we just call it a day. It's been lovely having you in my life. How long <laughs> had it been since you, from your first visit to Aline, when did things start to shift from, oh, I'm just here to visit to, oh, like, hey, mm. hey. Oh, uh, not too long. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when you know, you know. So no judgment We got here. on straight away. Like we really did. Like there was no mm. – that's awesome. And so, yeah. so obviously something changed because you're, you're back here now. So yeah. Well, so I like, I went to Perth. I was in Perth for a couple of months. There had been no contact. Like, you know, it was, and it was a really lovely goodbye, you know. Um, anyway, one afternoon my phone rang. Um, and it was Dave and he's like, I'm in Perth and just wondered if you wanted to go out for dinner. I feel like it's like even though we'd lived here for so long, you could almost say it was like our first date. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we went out to dinner and that was it. I was just like, oh, when are you going back? He said, I'll be in Perth for a week. And I just said, oh, I'll come back with you. Mm. So, I mean, it was still, again, it was like I said I'd go back, but it was still very flexible and I think he still expected that maybe I'd come and hang again for another few months but ultimately would probably move on. Um, but no, not really. I mean, I did, I stayed for the end of the year. I went home to Victoria for Christmas, but I 
went home just to tell all my friends and family that I had booked a return ticket to WA. I wasn't coming back to Vic for good. I gave up my uni position. Just, yeah. Wow. I love this. I've got goosebumps. <laughs> I don't know how many episodes you've listened to, but I love getting these stories from people. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, yeah, I love these stories. Mm. At some stage there was, I know you said, so you had this interest from your younger years, you know, in the environment and then obviously uh, sustainability once Al Gore's film came out. and you, mm. uh, But then you also had, you know, this interest in hospitality and tourism um, and you weren't sure that you could bring him together. Then you meet mm. Dave and you kind of see, I guess it's a way to kind of combine some of those things together, maybe not to the level that you guys do today, but mm. early on back then. Early on, I think I just felt that because we destocked the station to try and recuperate country so that running cows was more sustainable, we needed money. So I just saw tourism as a way to fund what he was doing. And as you say, at that point, I didn't actually see them complementing each other. It was just something we had to do to make money so that we could do the other thing. Yeah. When you met David, so he kind of already had this vision and plan and at some, it's one thing to be supportive of your partner and take an interest in what you do. But Mm. from what I know from having listened to um, you speak and seen you of like on telly and read your stories that you've written for our website and then just yarning to you is that at some point this wasn't an interest of you. It's sort of become your purpose. You know, so mm. sometimes I, I find, well, commonly with people, there's one person has like each person has their own kind of purpose and they work together and whatnot. But while mm. this was maybe David's purpose first, it seems like you guys are really side by side in this and, you're invested in this as much as he is. When, how, how did that come about? Yeah. Um, I guess it probably is something that evolved. But I guess other than that, you know, like first day or two when I was like, what on earth am I doing here? You know, when he did take me for a drive to visit, you know, some really special places on Wallin, I think it was pretty instant for me, like this just feeling of, I don't know, like just immense natural beauty. Like it was just like the country, like was just talking to me already, even though, as I admitted, I didn't even know what station was. Like Denver even, you know, and in a vision in my mind as a kid, like the desert was just endless like sand dunes, you know. This concept of understanding like what is a semi-arid environment, what makes something what it is. And like I guess it didn't take very long for me for this to just feel like home. I mean there's so many people say to me all the time, especially, you know, having a tourism business, like, oh, you must miss Victoria so much. Like, oh, but it's so green over there and it's like it's not here and like and it's not that I don't like miss home. I obviously miss my family. Um <clears throat> and it's, you know, it's lovely to go home and experience that. But there's just something about this country that I don't know, it just speaks, you know, and it just feels like home. And so I think when you care about something that deeply, and a lot of people do feel that way about where they live. And then you understand possibly how much trauma this country's been through in its past, but you know how much potential it has to be fantastic and beautiful and producing again. 
don't know. It's just like slowly, slowly over time. It's like the more I learnt about things and it maybe it's just like learning about plants and their role in an ecosystem or how they support each other or how that animal is dependent on that tree doing that thing at that time for that insect to come along. And like the more intricate you understand it to be. And, and even for me, the concept of understanding that it was fragile, like, you know, like associating the word fragile with a desert is not really don't know wouldn't have occurred to me before being here then the more you understand it you do see how fragile it is and yeah I don't know like just slowly over time learning more and more about the country and obviously already being concerned about sustainability and climate change and understanding broader like for me I guess you know it is it is about sustainable production for us. We see we have a really important role in producing food for the future and we have a patch of land that we can contribute to that. Um, but also, like, I don't, I don't want to be part of a system that continues extinction of particular species, whether they're plants or animals. Like, you know, we have a really important responsibility to make this better. Not and not for us, so that we can make money out of selling cows, but for everyone. So, mm, I think it's just like over time, the longer I've been here, and the more I've learned, and then the more I understand. I don't know. It seems like the more urgent and important it is to do something about it, um, and that supports obviously what David wants to do, which is the same as what I want to do. But, but obviously, for him, producing cows is a really important part of that. Yeah. I don't know. What was what the it, question again? <laughs> how, how long it took to to kind of change from, oh, mm. I'm interested in this and I support what you do to mm. like this is now my purpose and my mission as well. Yeah. Um, and I think we came up last night, we, we realised, so you and David, same values and perhaps different um, ways of achieving or, you know, enacting mm. and living out those values. Not super different but – yeah. They're very complimentary. Yeah, and that's it. Sometimes when I talk to people, it's like we've both got um, our passions and we've both got the things, you know, like for me, tourism is my passion and for him, like sustainable production and caring for country is his, but we do have the same purpose in what we're trying to achieve and a shared value. And we've just got two things that also complement each other, like my what I do at Woolene with tourism complements his role in what he needs to do you know, to achieve what he needs to, whilst at the same time what he does does complement the tourism, not only from like producing food through education, experiences, Indigenous knowledge. I don't know. There's all sorts of cool things that they, they just intertwine and connect all the time. You've, you must have been on an incredible learning curve. Um, say even if you had an agricultural background coming to this region, you would have had to learn all the um, nuances of this type of country, but you mm. kind of had had to start from, I say, I guess from scratch with a lot of things. Obviously, a lot of that knowledge and uh, teaching came from David, and there was an inherent trust there. How else did you to be able to commit yourself and be so um, like everything you guys do? There's so much conviction behind what you do. Mm. Uh, um, did you? I'm just wondering, like, what you did. I'm not, I know when they say this, it's going to sound like dodgy or shady, but I don't mean it like that. But, um, I'm guessing you, 
you went elsewhere or you didn't just rely on David to, it's not like you just came here and he told you this is how it is and this is what, Mm. and you just took it all as at face value and was like, yeah, cool. You say it, it's gospel and I'm going to run with it because Mm. you'd be mad if you did. Yeah, Um, exactly. And I'm, and I know you and you're not mad. So, um, (laughs) well, well, actually, well, maybe not. (laughs) Yeah. At least in that context. So how do you, um, Mm. cause you know, it, uh, you, you know, you've got an interest in this and then you've got an interest in the bloke, uh, on that level. And, but then you want to mm. make sure, cause what if, imagine if you'd been dating like six months or you got into it for a year and you're like, wow, this guy's off chops and he doesn't, he's just yeah. wild. Like, what if you like picked one of the yeah. nutters that, you know, had these wild ideas that was just nuts? Mm. Luckily you didn't, but yeah. how do you kind of verify what you're being told and, and like ground truth that I guess? Yeah, that's it. I mean, I think it's always being open you know, to listening to other people's ideas. Um, and sometimes, yeah, you don't have to rebuke things. Sometimes you just have to, you just have to sit and listen. Um, I mean, read a fair bit of stuff, listen to other people. I think also like tourism being a completely separate industry means at times I'm mingling with a totally different network of people to what you know, agriculture and the station does. I mean, obviously the topics we're discussing are not like ground truthing what David says. Um, but yeah, I think it's just always being open and reading everything and questioning things. Um, mm, what else? Don't know. That's I'm, it. I'm, being yeah. open. Yeah. I think, do you know what like is important for me too is actually not coming from agriculture. You know, like I'm not, um, I'm not set in any way of particularly doing something, which I guess initially is why I was really open to some of Dave's ideas about, um, I wouldn't say ideas. I mean, let's be honest, like a lot of it's documented in Department of Ag, like studies, surveys, research, like there's a lot of just hard science behind what he believes. Um, so it's, it's reading that too, to make sure that what he said is actually what, you know, <laughs> making sure we're both on the same page with what we're reading and what we're seeing. Um, but I think not coming from agriculture means I haven't come with any preconceived ideas of what something should be. So I can listen to what, um, some people say and go, Oh, okay. okay. Like understand why that makes sense. But then like also listen to a completely different like opinion and then like weigh that up against each opinion without having any background to say that one's more right than the other. I don't know. I, I kind of, I've always thought of it as an asset, not coming from agriculture gives me the opportunity to just be really open to every, everyone's ways of doing things. As a fellow sub suburban semi-rural girl, I can completely <laughs> resonate with that. Mm. And I, I just thought that was as whenever I'm talking to someone, I'm always, I kind of always have like the devil's advocate in the back of my head. So yeah. I wanted to raise that particularly because um, and I'm like, it's terrible. Like I'm always thinking the worst. I'm like, what is the one naysayer listening to this going to say? And how yeah. can we, how can I kind of try and get ahead of that? And, um, mm. not that you should probably be thinking that way, but, um, but there's always one. And I think particularly with the tourism as well, like that's one thing I love about tourism is that, I mean, look, majority of people come here because they, um, they do share our values. They believe in what we're doing or they got a, rough understanding but they're keen to learn more but that doesn't mean that every now and then you don't get someone turn up that's like like against it they booked without realizing what we stand for or or they just you know or they they agree with some of it but all of it so we get this like really unique opportunity all the time to like have these discussions with people and so um like you know if we didn't have tourism and it was just dave and i sitting down to the dinner table each night 
that would be it, you know, and it'd be easy to get stuck in our own circles of thought. Um, but because we sit down to a whole table full of guests every night, you know, we have these opportunities to have our um, ideas challenged and, and, you know, sometimes you learn new things or you pursue different thought ideas because someone's told you something you hadn't considered before. It, yeah, like I think for us it does keep things pretty open and, and keeps us always questioning as well like what we believe in because, yeah, we're lucky to live in such a remote location but constantly have stimulating conversations with people all the time. Yeah, mm. and I'm glad. I think I think you've demonstrated that. I just um, – in case anyone's thinking this is like a weird line of questioning, I'm just thinking, I'm like, is there someone out there that's going to go, oh, well, you you had no experience and you came out here and he just told you this is how it should work and you've just like, you know, followed mm. and done what, what he's done. Um, and I just wanted to be able to take a, a moment to demonstrate that that's not what's happened, no. that you're not like just blindly following in love, mm. you know, being like, oh, if he said that how, that's how it works and that's how it should work, you've done your own time and due diligence um because i think it would be easy to kind of put you in a box like that that yeah and i you know and sometimes i do i kind of see that and i like i'm not one to be particularly outspoken to be honest like i mean maybe going like way back to the beginning like when i was a kid like i was a pretty shy kid um like super shy kid and i wouldn't say i would probably still describe myself as shy to be honest like to do my job in tourism I, like because it's I don't know I find that very easy to engage and question and draw stuff out of people because I like I see that as my job but then when you take me out of work mode and just like personally Francis I don't don't really think I'm the most outgoing person in the world um, and so I I've certainly been to plenty of functions before where there's pastoralists and I I feel like even after 14 years I still get labelled as like the girl from Victoria who's now married like the greenie from Woolene like what does she know. You know what I mean? And like, and I can tell. She's just drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. You know, and I can tell when I talk to those people that they don't, you know, they don't value any opinion I might have. But like, I mean, I, I'm not the kind of person really to get upset by that. I'm quite happy to just let them, whatever. If that's your opinion and you're not prepared to explore, you know, what someone else may or may not know or what they might be able to bring to the table, then that's not my loss. That's theirs. You know. That segues in nicely to what I wanted to ask you about. So, um, settling into this is a fairly remote area, mm-hmm. a very small community, a sparsely populated, you know, geographically isolated community. Yeah. Uh, so very different coming from Victoria. You're also quite young when you, when you settled here. So yeah. from, what, 18, 19 yeah. by the time you came back and like that was it. Yeah. And as if that, you know, that would come with its own set of challenges. But then, uh, as we've kind of alluded to, and for, I mean, we won't go through the ins and outs of it in this episode. People mm. can listen to David's or watch you on Australian Story <laughs> or <laughs> buy the book. Yeah. Um, some of the ideas and concepts and beliefs out here that you guys uh, operate within, um, or say your paradigm mm. of thought, is it can be divisive or um, yeah, absolutely. controversial or whatnot. So mm. I'm sure that would make it maybe throw in some extra loops um, when it comes to settling in, building relationships, yeah. forming friendships. Yeah, absolutely. Been- yeah, look, I remember probably the first couple of like community functions that Dave and I ever went to together and they weren't really fantastic. It wasn't that anyone was rude. It was just that no one was going out of their way to be welcoming. Um, you know, and like over the years that's, you know, like I 
consider now like I've got a great relationship with everyone that lives in the community. But, yeah, sometimes you can tell that people are just maybe being polite for the sake of it. Um, I do genuinely believe, though, there's a lot of people in our community that understand we are a small community and we do need to be able to rely on each other if we need help or to just keep that. So sometimes when we have functions, I think a lot of us are willing to put aside those differences to be able to just have a good evening together. And yeah, I mean, like social connection out here is pretty difficult. Um, I mean, aside from us with the tourism, there's lots of people here, but yeah, I mean, in Murchison is a very small isolated community. So we do need to rely on each other for that social interaction. So yeah. And look, there's probably been times where we have sat pretty quietly on our ideals, um, you know, and that's, that's pretty good. But then sometimes it's like, nah, we can't keep a lid on this one. We're going to like publicly express this opinion or we're going to talk to this journalist about what we think or we're going to do X, Y, Z. And that's when it, yeah, maybe you can just get a little bit cold for a bit there until we all settle down again. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like I really respect some of the people in this community to be able to put aside their beliefs and try and forget ours in aid of just being able to have a good social get-together sometimes. That's really good yeah. to hear yeah. that people can rise above and mm. and kind of focus on it because, yeah, like you said, every in, in places like this or any remote parts of Australia, every body counts, and I mean like, yeah. like a physical human body. Exactly. Like every you take one or two people out of the annual Christmas event or yeah. catch up at the pub or whatever and – it's not like all oh, one or two people didn't turn up. It's like that's ten percent. Yeah, twenty yeah. percent. Well, the community like, didn't We need make it. every single yeah set of boots. Sometimes that we, we can like get there. go to an event and you're like, well, this station was there, this station was there, or they weren't there, they weren't there. That was like, oh, of the you know x amount of stations in the community, like only half turned up tonight. I you know like people have got other commitments in life. Like that's that's the way it is. But you're right. Like it's a, you notice a lot when people don't turn up. And Dave and I have always taken the opinion that despite what people may think of us it's it's turning up that matters and it and it's being there to support other people to make sure that events keep going and you know that organizers don't burn out because no one turns up or yeah it's like you, you turn up and you yeah. do your bit and you bring your cake or your salad or whatever you know <laughs> i would like to talk now about tourism and mm how you see it playing into the sustainability of Wallene and how, you know, this isn't just a regular station, you know, and not saying that there's anything wrong if something doesn't, if, if you are just a regular, mm. say, hospitality kind of uh, accommodation because um, yeah. there's lots of that. Um, oh, there we go. Plug on our website. <laughs> you, there's a page on our website you can find, well, to my Googling ability, every station stay in Australia. And you can also view them by map so you don't even have to try and figure out by the name where they're from. Just look at the map. They're all there. Uh, And so you guys have a a couple of different options here. And so just, yeah, give us a Mm. rundown on what it is, how it works, and what your goal for it is. Yeah. So we try to cover all options, but probably should say up front that in line with what we believe of the land. We also believe for tourism. So it's all about sustainable tourism and about offering a really unique special experience. So we've got a, a, like a pretty hefty cap on how many people will allow 
to come at any one time. Um, but I guess so at the, you know, at the base of the experience, we do camping. Um, and that's all wilderness camping. So not a caravan park. We don't do powered sites and all that sort of guff. Um, so, you know, you check in, you get your map. Um, all our customers have to sign a commitment to country agreement, which is basically mine and Dave's values in a bit of paper. This is how you look after the country. This is how you camp in a way that is responsible, not into four-wheel driving and hooting around the bush. Like, you know, so don't sign the document, no camp. Like, but that's okay. Everyone comes here because they believe in what we're doing. <laughs> so, yeah, camping is what we do. Wilderness camping. So, you'll get allocated a spot out in the bush. Might be like down by the river or out in some breakaway country. Um, the sites have just got like a little drop composting toilet, which sounds terrible, but we get rated so highly on our toilets. They're epic. <laughs> I'm like, maybe I need to duck out and see one of these before yeah, I leave. You should. You'd be surprised. Well, I guess. I'm mm. probably not. How many? Um, so obviously I drive a lot. Mm. And when you can, you hold on for a good yeah. servo gas station. Um, but man, some of the, it's hit and miss. Some of them, mm. especially in the Northern Territory and Alice Springs, always have toilet paper and the water always works and they don't smell that bad. And then you go to other ones and you're like, Ugh. you know what? I'd be better off out in the Spinifex. I know. And that's like out, um, our sort of opinion here was is that we've put the toilet there for a reason, right? Because we don't want people shitting in the bush. So, like, if we're going to expect them to use the toilet, then it better be bloody good. Like, otherwise, there's no point. I really want to see it now. <laughs> I'll have to show you one before you go. Um, yeah, so basically you get a toilet and fire pit. But you get a self-drive map and you, like, got access. You can go on sunset tours and look in the museum and do the walk trails and the hike trails and whatever, all the activities. Um, so then the next step up from that is our self-contained guest houses. So we've got like rammed earth, um, two bedroom houses. They're yeah, fully self-contained. So bring all your own food, um, linen and towels. Everything's provided. Just bring the tucker. That's it. Um, and then there's probably our top experience, which is staying here in the homestead with Dave and I, um, we are just super, super lucky that the homestead entirely lends itself to tourism. It is the fan- – okay, think <laughs> McLeod's daughter's like old Victorian style era. I mean, it was built mm. way back when. Like it it feels like we've walked into Downton Abbey. Yeah. Like it's – guys, it's impressive. Go look <laughs> at the pictures on the website. I already got up Francis about how come they're not posting this stuff on their social media because I'm like – People would be fl- like flocking out here. It's mm. so cool. But anyway, you tell us about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, like it's, it's just the way it was designed. There's really been minimal alterations to the house. Um, so it was built in 1918. Um, there's seven guest bedrooms. Um, but we capped the homestead at 10. So 10 people. Um, so five couples or four and a couple of singles. However, however it turns out. Um, and that's because Dave and I, like, I guess we advertise that experience as people get unlimited access to us, which sounds a bit cocky, hey, but um, but we're here to like chat to you as much as you want. Like every question you've got about Woolene, we're going to answer it. Like we'll, we'll be around at breakfast, we'll be around at lunch, we all eat dinner together. So we sit down um, to dinner with our guests every night. In the formal dining room, the table can only seat 12. So once we've got 10 guests plus Dave and I, that's it, that's a full table. And that's just a really intimate experience that yeah, we want all of our customers to get to know each other and 
And then those conversations that come out of those dinner conversations are, I guess, going back to what I was saying earlier, when people can question us on what we're doing or they challenge ideas or they support ideas or, I mean, I know that you, you shouldn't talk about politics with people you don't know, but man, sometimes like, you know, we have some fantastic conversations and sometimes they get like a bit crazy, but it's not like it's good. You know, people are really like thrashing things out on why, why we do do things the way we do in the world and how we could do them better or how we could be better people. Like, I don't know. It's really, it's really fun. I mean, I don't know. I guess we host the equivalent of a dinner party every night from April to October. And then sometimes people turn up in December and <laughs> what they bring to the dinner table is some pretty deadly dad jokes. Yeah. <laughs> You've had one of them lately. We have last night. <laughs> oh, and tonight. Don't worry. Tonight. We've got more. <laughs> um, yeah. So the homestead is, it's, it's great. I don't know. I love it. I think it's our, you know, best opportunity to kind of engage people in what our core mission is and what it is we're trying to do. Um, Dave does run a three hour sunset tour where he takes people out on country and really discusses like the pasture, what the pasture is doing, what's happening. We look at monitoring sites. Um, we talk about some great like indigenous cultural stuff. And then of course we do the like sunset drinks on a granite outcrop sort of thing to finish it off. Um, and anyone can participate in that. So if you're a camper, you can do it homestead you can do it um but if you're staying in the homestead then that is an exclusive experience that you have so if you're not staying in the homestead you can't come in unfortunately yeah but that that's how we operate it um and that's what i don't know works really well for us so how do you see this i suppose i suppose it is a very unique experience you can offer people because it's not just obviously it's great to have the, say, the blogs you've written for us or this podcast. Mm. You guys have a book out. Um, mm. You've been on TV. But I think when somebody's there and they can see it in person, it's one thing to yeah. watch you talk about it on TV, but to go out with you and Dave and he's pointing out this bush and saying how old it is and mm. these are the signs of how hard or whatever it's been grazed and mm. that it just must – What what's – like the feedback you're getting from people and do you hear from them like later on down the track you know months or years after they visited absolutely we've seen now like I guess um coming up 2022 will be our lost track 14th 15th tourism season together um and so the amount of repeat customers we have now is fantastic and a lot of them say we're like we're coming to check up on you too we're coming to make sure you're doing what you said you would you know that's really cool like I really like that um yeah like people turn up with obviously as you say they've got an idea of what we do but you're right there's nothing quite like being on country with the people themselves to understand it best so we find a lot of people leave going like oh it really makes sense to me now well they're like we read the book and that's got so much information in it but I've still got so many questions you know so actually being here means they get the chance to really get that info and question things and and angle it differently and and understand what's going on um yeah like i mean we we have a newsletter so basically you know once people get on that newsletter the the contact's pretty continuous to be honest like once we've engaged someone um i don't want to sound salesy because it's not salesy but it's just like Tourism plays a role here at the station to share that knowledge, but I also see our role in terms of what we're trying to do is to be bigger and broader than what Woolene is. Um, and so I guess we use social media and we knew, we use our newsletter to communicate with people that A, may never get the chance to come to Woolene. There's an awful lot of them. They, they love what we're doing or they agree with what we're doing or they're just interested, but 
you know, they won't. I feel like I've got like lots of online relationships with people I'll never meet. Like <laughs> You probably thought that about me until two days yeah, ago yeah. when I turned up in person. Steph, the mythical person. Um, yeah. So, and that's cool. Like you send a newsletter out and you just get like hundreds of people writing back to you that like you've never met them before, but you recognize the name because they responded to the last seven like newsletters. It's cool. It's like, it's really nice. So I think it is, it's an ongoing relationship and the journey for us is, it's not our journey. It's everyone's journey. Like we want it to be everyone's journey. Like it needs to be. It's like, this is pastoral land. It's leasehold land. It belongs to the crown. Like everyone should speak for it. And I think we should all be invested in how our food is produced and how we care for our country. And like, if you're going to eat food that the country produces, then you should give a damn about what's happening to it. Like, and tourism is that fantastic way for us to get them out here on the country. You can't like, you can't value something if you don't have any experience of it and you know you like to sit down in the dining room and be like hey tonight we're eating a cow that was born here grew here like you know this is woolene beef and you are participating in eating something that was grown in the most sustainable way that we can manage at this present moment you know it's like it's a, it's a really lovely thing to sit down and do every evening there's no doubt that people that drive through the gate not only having an experience but learning so much from you and Dave and whoever else is here, what do you learn in return from Mm -hmm. the people that come through the gate? Yeah, Um, like a lot. This will sound bad but I want to say patience, (laughs) 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 which, you know, in the bad way, look, some people test you a bit and that's fine. That's the nature of like customer service and hospitality. But they, you know, people do, everyone comes with their own story. And so whilst people are coming to Woolene to learn about our story, in return, we also learn their stories. I mean, particularly the people that are staying in the homestead, but also broader than that, even our campus and guest house people. And, you know, I mean, some people have hard stories, you know, some people have been through a lot in life and like always a constant reminder that you just can't judge people. You know, you really can't like, yeah, everyone's got things going on, um, Everyone can bring something to the conversation. Yeah. I mean, tourism teaches us a lot all the time, like, and, and through conversations, learning again, to look at things differently, to challenge ideas. Um, but yeah, I think you can't always put yourself first. It's remembering that, you know, yeah, other people have got needs and just outside of being a good tourism operator, <laughs> it's nice to be reminded of that all the time. As you said, it's only been only it's only <laughs> been fifteen years. That's it. Uh, what is you know, and it takes time to implement things and grow things. And obviously, when you're trying to do two things at once, you know, mm. um, run the tourism side of things and the pastoral side and the regeneration yeah. side, that that obviously can maybe slow down the process as well. What are your goals for the future? What's next? What are mm. we all? keeping you know we're all coming along on the journey whether it's through the newsletter social media visiting in person but what can we expect to see yeah next um oh god i mean like lots of things i reckon <laughs> do you want me to just go back and instead ask you what is the meaning of life like, yeah, yeah that's it's it. probably about <laughs> as simple isn't it that's that's it i'll just tell you that instead no. <laughs> um what's next like i think it's taken us you know like and i don't know i could just be repeating what dave said but like for our first few years here, like we were just so close to going broke all the time. Like we were just existing. And then we sort of got to a point where we were treading water with our heads actually ab- above it, not below. 
Um, and then maybe the last few years we've finally got to a position where it's like, you know, we like, we actually feel really confident in what we believe and we're, we're not about to go broke anymore. And we've learned a lot from all the things that we've done. And I think particularly from a landscape perspective, like, um, you know, whether it's building ponding banks or enviro rolls or destocking or shutting down waters or not baiting for dingoes or like all these different strategies that we've been trying to implement to like see which ones work. And I guess we've formulated a bit of opinion now on what does work, what doesn't. Um, so I suspect going forward, we'll be doing a lot more of the things that we think work and maybe being a little bit more financially stable, do them better than what we did in the past. And I think too, the tourism probably has already started the last couple of years to evolve again, going from a position of being broke and just doing what we could to make it work to like, you know, the last couple of years we've employed um, like a cook in the homestead. So like increasing that visitor experience and what they're doing. And then also like the interpretation they get when they're in the bush, like how much we can offer them, how much they can learn, um, what their experiences are here at Woolene. Um, I think I'm a big fan of like, I don't, I don't want to be bigger, um, but I think we can be an awful lot better. Like I think there's still – I feel like we've only just touched the iceberg on what we can do in terms of our visitor experience here. Um, and, that, and that covers, like, everything. Like, I mean, from infrastructure right through to the, the experience they have in the bush, the social, you know, physical what's, – what's the other one? Uh, emotional? It's yeah, emotional. emotional. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that, the emotional experience. Because I think that, you know, when I go back probably like quite early in the podcast, we'll talk about how the country makes me feel. Like I feel like that's like my ultimate goal all the time. Like I want people to leave here feeling about the country the way I do. Like I want them to sit out by the Murchison River at sunset and really just feel grounded. Like the world's just gone like stupid, you know, and like I hate to say it, but I really thought COVID was going to be a chance to reset. And I don't think that it has been. I think as we're going, like we're going back to normal and maybe it's a different normal, but it's not the different normal I was hoping for. I think perhaps with lockdown, mm. if anything, it, it pushed us more into technology because you were stuck yeah. in your house with, oh, yeah. and, and thank God, I mean, probably thank God for having access to the internet for, I mean, I can't mm. speak. I barely had to experience any lockdowns, but knowing people in Melbourne that spent like eight months in a five yeah. kilometer radius, like that probably, help keep them somewhat sane but yeah it wasn't we I mean we saw mm. some incredible effects on the environment particularly in Europe where waterways yeah. and airways cleared up mm. um and I think that's the that's maybe I don't want to say what upsets me but it's like you can it was like a little window into what was possible but instead of like looking through that window and wanting to jump through it and make it better something shiny caught our attention yeah we just went wow that was pretty cool but, oh, but I know I need to fly to Paris, so <laughs> get back on the airplane. Like, yeah, and I know, like, obviously, like, you know, the modern world, there's always things we're going to have to do. But, um, yeah, I just think more and more increasingly we're just not doing what's required. Lockdown, consumerism drives me mad. Um, so I just hope that we can foster and grow better the experience at Woolene and, and, you know, and like food's a whole nother topic we haven't even touched on. And I'm no food expert, but got a pretty good understanding of like majority of the food we eat now is terrible. Just poisoning ourselves, you know, and like, and we've we- been poisoning me since I got here. <laughs> you served me like six meals now. <laughs> yeah. I thought I started to feel a bit sluggish. You know, when Dave took you out and showed you that well the other day. Oh, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but it's like, you know, like we have such an important role to play here in producing food. And okay, we're only producing one type, beef, unless you're staying in the homestead, you might get something from my veggie patch. But yeah, it's like there's just so many big, big conversations that need to happen about the way the world operates. And I just hope that we can continue to be a key driver in and, – and if only we can influence a few people every year or even if only a few people decide to go home and make changes in their life after staying with us, like I think that's a success. Um, it's a ripple effect, you know? Yeah. Things happen slowly and they – like as much as I would love to see them happen so much faster, they, they are happening. Um, Sometimes mm. I wonder – if obviously, yeah, it can be frustrating to see things happen slowly, but maybe if something happens slowly, it'll be longer lasting. I think of, um, you know, when you try and give someone advice and you can tell them till you're blue in the face mm. and they're like, yeah, yeah, but they don't really get it. And it's not until they've lived that experience and made those mistakes that then they're like, oh, like, so yeah. sometimes you just can't, even though you're like, you're like, I can see what's about to happen, like, and what, and I can tell mm-hmm. you right now, but sometimes they have to go through it. People have to go on their own journey to come yeah. to their own realizations. Oh, like, I've done things like read a book that's just like revolutionized the way that I think. And then like, I handed out to a heap of people, I'm like, you've got to read this. It's going to change everything. But like, I got to that book because I read like six before it that took me on this, yeah, journey of getting to like a pinnacle of aha moment. But, yeah, I mean, that's it. People do have to go on their own journey and, and changing slowly maybe makes it more sustainable. But I just, I do very much worry that we've got to a point that we need to hurry things up. <laughs> mm. So to wind up and, uh, full disclosure, you've had, you know, this question was coming. Mm. Everyone does. Yeah. Looking back on your story so far, what would you say is the major takeaway lesson? Um, should have thought about this more. You've had like 48 hours notice. No way. You only told me dinner last night. If you listened to every episode, you would know that it was I coming. Just, I've just admitted. Yeah. She's not listened to a single. Not listen At to least me. David like he did his smashed, homework. smashed through a few home like to yeah, yeah, prepare for his. He did. Um, Luckily, you've written like a few blogs for our website, so I'll let you off the hook. Okay. Can you – sorry, say it again. Looking back mm-hmm. on your life so far, yeah. what would you say is the major takeaway lesson that you've learned? Like, yeah, for me personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, despite just saying I want everything to hurry up, it's like it's probably to slow down. Like I think I've spent all my 20s just um, not in my 20s anymore, just so you know. But, <laughs> but just wishing things to happen faster and quicker and always trying to cram so much in. Like I think it's um takeaway lessons probably just learning to slow down a bit more. Things do happen, you know. Like I mean, I don't know, when I look back on all the stuff we've achieved, like we've achieved heaps, but at the time it just feels like things are snail paced, like Yeah. So it's dunno, is that what people say? Is that like is that a good takeaway le- life lesson? Slowing, it is. Slowing down people. After I told you all to hurry up. <laughs> hurry up with some things, but slow down with the others. <laughs> Ag Workforce specialises in recruiting for agricultural jobs, including farm work, station work and agribusiness across Australia. View current jobs, advertise a position or register as a job seeker at agworkforce.com.au. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or leave us a review. It really helps other people find our podcast.
You can find our website at centralstation.net.au where we have over 1,200 stories published from across Northern Australia. All of our podcast episodes, a tourism directory for visiting an outback cattle station and training and employment resources. We're on Facebook at Central Station, True Stories from Outback Australian Cattle Stations. And we're on Instagram at centralstation.net.au. And we're also on Twitter at Central Station 6. To discuss this episode with other listeners, head on over to our Facebook group, Central Station Podcast.